Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to You've Championed Yourself, Who Are You? I'm Chris Ferguson. I'm your host. It has been a dream of mine for so many years to showcase people who are ordinary people doing ordinary things, but they're also doing extraordinary things in their lives and helping out others. That is who I call a champion. They've taken their dreams, their ideas, and turned it into their reality, where so many other people can't get beyond their struggles and their pains, where so many people give up, they lose hope. There are those few that can walk through their obstacles and their challenges and step out and still be a force to give to the earth. They don't know where they're going, don't know where it's going to take them. They just trust enough not to give up, to do the follow-through in their personal life, their career, and in relationships. This is what I call a champion. Today, I have an amazing individual with me. He is a, a, is a coach on a collegiate level, national level. His name's Randy Brown. He's an amazing, he has an amazing story, but I want to touch on all the things that he's, as a, as a, as a fellow coach, when I was at the high school, the, the, the things that he went through that I know I went through. So let's welcome Randy to, to the podcast today. Good morning. Hey, how are you, my friend? Good, Chris. Thank you so much for, for having me and allowing me to, to share my story. I think stories are wonderful and they, they bring out the, the great lessons and, and boy, they're, they're just, they're amazing. Everybody's got a wonderful story. So thanks for allowing me to share mine. I'm honored and excited to have you here today, Randy. So many people go through so much in life, but I wanted to talk to you and ask you about your backstory about coaching. What made you become a coach? Oh boy. That was kind of a neat story. Um, I think at one time I wanted to be a fireman, but there was a very distinct day and, and memory. And at the, at the age of eight, when I was at a high school basketball practice, and uh, I knew the coach. I knew the knew knew the family very well. And I remember standing there watching. I my jaw, my mouth just must have been wide open at this at the sounds. I remember the sounds. I remember the size of these of these players. I thought they're professional players. They were so big. The coach had this that's this sort of deep sort of authoritative voice. And he was in charge and everything was just orchestrated and they were bouncing that basketball, which I, I had already fell in, fell in love with that bouncing that ball and trying to get it up to 10 feet, which I could at eight, but there was a time where I couldn't. And th that had an unbelievable impact on me. And I, I remember getting to the point at some, at some point, it's some part of my life where I realized that you could actually have that for a job. It wasn't just fun time. Like, let's get, you know, go shoot baskets, play basketball. And when I learned that, I'm like, sign me up. I go, I, 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 I'm going to do that the rest of my life. And that was my intention. I didn't, I, I, for, for obvious reasons that we'll talk about, I, it didn't come to fruition, but I did have a long, um, unbelievably, um, fulfilling uh, career uh, as a high school basketball coach for five years and then a, a collegiate coach. Um, fortunately, uh, at the highest level in NCAA basketball for 20 years and um, have stayed involved in the game with different projects and things. But it, it started at age eight. It's, it's really amazing. So I threw that firehouse stuff off to the side and, and I just went for basketball. <laughs> you were just in love with the lights. I know. Is that, that's what it is with the fire trucks. It's the lights and the sirens. Yeah. I think that's funny. In your coaching, what were some of the, the um, strategies that used to get kids motivated? Because I'm all about kids. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us about that or yeah. what yours were? I, you know, I started out as a, as a young coach in his early twenties, like many who thought that, you know, projecting your voice was coaching. All right. And being on the baseline or the sideline and, you know, shouting out instructions to players and, 
And I think that was just part of my natural development as a coach, because the longer I got into my career, the more I come, I came to realize that individually is the best way to communicate with players. Mm -hmm. And there's a way to do that. Sometimes it's in the flow of a practice. Sometimes it's pulling them off the sideline. Sometimes it's grabbing them at study hall and speaking to them. Uh, we didn't have cell phones uh, then, so you didn't have that little opportunity to text and things. But as I matured as a coach and as I learned, I realized that the best way to get through to players, and, and I don't know about this thing about motivation. I've really struggled with that. I, I think if you love your sport and you love competition, there isn't a lot of motivation to be done. And if I've got to motivate somebody just to get to practice on time, I'm not sure that, that that's the right person that needs to be in our team anyway. So, I mean, self-motivation is huge because they got the rest of their life where they're going to have to be highly self-motivated. And so uh, the one-on-one the -on -one, became probably the, the number one thing I would share with you in terms of being able to relate to uh, young people. There isn't a young person that plays in any sport that doesn't want to be on the field versus on the sideline. And so mm -hmm. I always address that, but I always break it down to the smallest pieces and say, you know, th this thing about, well, you know, you, you're, you don't work hard enough in practice and, and this, and that it, it's not any of that. What are the pieces that are, are, are keeping him from being on that basketball floor? And they're usually the pieces that, are parts of drills mm -hmm. or skills that we've taught that they just think, well, it's just practice. We're just, you know, we're just running around doing, doing stuff, offense, defense, whatever. And they don't think about it like, Oh, I, I, I better, I better get really, really good at uh, on ball defense and keep my uh, offensive player in front of me because our coach is a defensive coach. Maybe that will help me get on the floor. And I tell them that with two assistants and a head coach, you have six eyeballs on you at all times. And if you think practice is just this, you know, dress rehearsal that doesn't mean much, it's all about the game. You're crazy. Um, <laughs> if you're ever a coach, you better you better straighten, you know, get your mind right because it isn't about the game. And I've I've coached twelve NBA players. A uh, lot, lot of really, really good, talented players. And I'll, I'll tell you that those guys always paid attention to the small pieces mm -hmm. that not only made them as good as they could be, but also then them being a part of a team, uh, they were also giving to their team. So it's just a perspective. It's just and, – and, and young – you know, young players don't know that. They don't know that until you tell them. Right. And that was always – that be, kind of became my favorite thing to do is to be able to appeal to uh, in college when you've got these guys coming from averaging 32 points a game coming into college and they're sitting that closer to the water cooler than they are the, where you check into the game. Yeah. And that gets their attention. And so what's the gap between where they are and where they want to be. And as one a of coach, my, yeah, uh, I'm sorry. I, didn't catch up. No. I was just saying one of my best friends, he's an amazing basketball coach in South Florida. His name's Eugene Richardson. And he's gone to he whatever high school he was at. He took the high school I was at to the States and took States with kids that some of them were on their last leg with the criminal justice system. And some of them were with their last leg in the educational system and helped he was more of a father figure for many of those who didn't have a father figure in their lives. He held them accountable. He held them responsible. He would go beyond and he became that, that focus factor in their, in their lives mm -hmm. and, and made, made miraculous changes in so many young men that needed it right. at a time when there wasn't any. And I see, that's how right. I see coaching is because yeah. it's, it's, it's more dealing with their day-to-day -day junk. Oh, it is. Yeah. And, and helping them get beyond that saying, you know what, it, it life's not fair, but let's, let's turn this around into your favor. Mm -hmm. And this is how you right. do it with an education. This is how you do it. Getting, if you're good at sports, if not chest band, whatever it is, whatever it is. Yes. So you I love um, a, a lifelong 
a lifelong sport. It was, and I, I, it took me a long time, but some of the boys, their parents was, were pains to deal with because it was like a female coach coaching the boys. Shouldn't you get a, <laughs> shouldn't you get a male, you know? Right. And they said, well, no, she's uh, the chief of security at the high school. These kids know her. Right. They know what to expect from her. And she holds them accountable. I had, uh, it was, it was crazy, but there was so many kids wanting just to be a part of things that had right. nothing to do with anything other than giving them a safe place. Right. Right. A place to belong and others to belong to. It's powerful, isn't it? It is. And I'm honored that I had the ability, but I honor the fact that you were doing it on a collegiate level that, but that takes a whole different mindset in my mind, because you're dealing now with an adult who's trying to get past all of their childhood issues. And now it is literally more so than in high school, their choice to choose. Right. Right. And that's, a, know, that's I, heavy point for, for that's yeah, why I was yeah. trying to bring the difference between the two. It is. I, I, I just wanted to interject one quick thing that one of my favorite sayings about, about coaching is your players. And I don't care if it's, you're coaching the Lakers or you're coaching a, a, you know, a third grade um, boys field hockey team. I mean, it doesn't, doesn't matter. They don't care about what you know until they know that you care. Mm -hmm. And so, and so, you know, a lot of coaches are out there and they want to show how much they know about this or that. And they're, they might be screaming at the kids or whatever, you know, and, and just, I, you know, I'm in, I'm in charge. I know all this basketball stuff or whatever. They, they don't give a hoot about that. Mm -hmm. They're like, Hey, now that, that, that left shoestring there, let's get that thing tied up a little tighter. Okay. You, you build a run faster. If you get that thing tied tight now, that stuff they're listening to. Because <laughs> I know you care about them. And you can't fake it with kids. You cannot no. fake it with kids. They know it in a bat of an eye. Yep. And most people don't realize that it is that connection with their coach that they yeah, know really. that they truly care. Yeah. And so when you know that when they know you care, they know you're going to keep them safe. They're you're going to ensure that the best things happen for them. And these are that these are the things with coaching. You talk about the truth in networking, communication, and team building. Can we talk about those things? Well, networking is just near and dear to me. It just it, it was the single thing that allowed me to realize a dream. When I was 21, I set three goals. And I was just out of college literally just out of college. And I, I, I sat down and I wrote these down. I want to be, not I want to be, I will be a division one assistant basketball, men's basketball coach, which at that time where from where I sat was a, is quite an undertaking, but I figured <laughs> I better, if I'm going to, and, and I was realistic enough to know I'm going to go for this. I'm going to go for it. I know it's going to be really hard to do. I might not be able to do it. I'm going to give it X amount of years, okay? And if I don't accomplish it by then, I will at least know that I tried like crazy. And 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 because high school basketball is is also a wonder wonderful opportunity to coach the game and coach young people. So I went into it with that mindset, all the uh, all the time knowing, oh no, I'm going to accomplish this. I, I want to have to do that. So uh, goal number two was I wanted to become. I would become a, a division one head basketball coach, mm -hmm. which was that's way out in the galaxy from the first one. <laughs> the third one was as long as I'm going this far, I might as well make a goal of coaching. I want to coach in the final four. Ooh, those are my three. Those are my three goals at 21. And without networking. And I didn't know a thing about it other than I knew that probably it would be why eyes to consult with other coaches and i consulted with many many of uh, uh, of the high school coaches in my state in iowa that would become mentors of mine and just got advice from them and asked them about high school and college and different things and just man i just i i just got this heap of great information by all these accomplished coaches 
And I talked to just a few of the college coaches that I knew because I really didn't know anybody. And I slowly sort of, I had my own little networking incubator on how how does someone reach a level that they want so bad, uh, but yet they don't know the people that, and I, I knew people, you know, drove the bus for sure. And I just slowly met as many people as I could. My mom and my dad um, were very diligent about handwriting notes to people. Very diligent. My dad was a sports writer and an outdoor writer at our local paper. And my mom was a, a church secretary. And then, of course, did was the CEO at home. And, <laughs> and they they just very in a very disciplined manner. And I so I grew up watching this handwritten note that became a huge part of my success in in becoming a college coach. And it's so powerful. And I teach it in my, in my elite coach mentoring with my basketball coaches who aspire to be college coaches, because it's, it's really the number one, it's the ultimate way to get in touch with someone with a personal, with a personal edge Mm -hmm. and it helps with your networking. And so, uh, I think so much of what I had learned about or knew about communication and networking were were, were not things that were going to help me help my goal come to fruition. And I, I put those aside. Um, one of them being this, and, and this is, I mean, this is a major, major point. We've all been told that it's not what we know, it's who we know. Yes. And I can't find a person that will not shake their head like you're doing right now because you've heard that, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I totally disown that now, and and I I don't I don't teach that at all because it doesn't matter if, if I'm 21 again and I, I I go out to start to get to know these people. Yes, I need to get to know a lot of people, but when it gets down to it, it's not really who I know. That's going to make a difference. Mm-hmm. The difference is who knows me. Yes. And the example I give to you, to, to the young coaches I work with, I, I'll tell them. Um, so Bill Self at the University of Kansas, okay, probably the most accomplished, uh, you know, coach in, in college basketball. He's already in the Hall of Fame. And if he has an opening for a job, there are probably 10,000 people out there who can say they know bill self well Mm -hmm. the odds of one in ten thousand aren't very good but if he knows me to a level personally professionally he can trust me he knows multiple people who know me and he's comforted by by knowing that if they think that he i'd be a good hire right now all of a sudden he has four interviews and i get one of the four Mm -hmm. so to prove my point, the odds are better at one in four than one in 10,000. <laughs> so it's better that Bill Self know me. And so networking to me is initially reaching out to get to get to know people. All right. Mm-hmm. And then and then the key is then getting to under an understanding of who they know, because mm-hmm. a lot of times we don't directly get to people who can do things for us and for our career. It's, they're usually two or three degrees removed. But if I know degree two and degree three to get to degree four, Bill Self at Kansas, then I, I'm almost a I'm almost on on a shoe in, as they call. One. Well, I'm almost on a, a first degree level with Bill Self, and I would probably have a good chance. So, and, and yes, that's a that that is a that is a huge point for people who who want to step in any business. Think about that in any business. It is, it's a huge bonus point. Thank you so much. When you do your um, elite coaching mentoring, what goes on with that? I'm kind of like elite coaching. And I, I, when I, when you said that, I was like, okay, they told me, Chris, what do you know about football? And it's like, okay, well, I watch football. I do this. I do that. You know, I play flag football. Oh, you play flag football. So you know the rules. Yes. Okay. Well, you're our head coach. Yeah. And that's how it started out. And so I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) What? Well, the word elite is tied to the level uh, or or just the the world of college basketball. It is such a competitive 
field once you get in. But you, there, you can't even you can't even understand what it's about if you can't get in, and most can't. It's mm-hmm. very difficult. So what, what I did wh- when my career ended, I decided, what am I going to do with all this knowledge and expertise? And I was the 21-year-old who became a Division One head coach and came about that far from playing in the Final Four in, in 2000 and maybe winning the national championship. How did I do that? And so I have all of this, th- this world of knowledge and experience. Should I just forget about it? Or are there pe- are there young people out there who have no idea? See, the, gr- the crazy thing about becoming a college coach is there are no you, you don't you don't have classes in college for that. <laughs> there are no books or manuals. In fact, to to my to my uh, understanding, I know there's a lot of mentoring programs out there, but I don't think there's one in the country other than mine that specifically deals with going from where they are into the college game. And so it's very specific that way. And and so I decided, well, heck, yeah. I mean, I got a heart for coaches. I mean, I was the eight-year-old that stood by the water fountain and watched that practice that day. I mean, it's just it's just so deep in me. I said, I would love to help young coaches get that same phone call I got from the University of Arizona in 1985 to say, Coach, uh, we've decided that we'd like to have you become our graduate assistant at the University of Arizona next year. And what that felt like and what that meant to me at the at the time is unreal. And now I get to help my coaches do that. Then I get the same phone call from them and say, Coach, I didn't think I'd ever make this phone call to you, but I'm so excited. I got to tell you that I got my my first college coaching job. So now I've had 130 of those calls now. Amazing. We've helped helped that many uh, into uh, the college game. And eight of those have found their way from that opportunity into the NBA. Awesome. And so they are at different levels and different jobs within the NBA. And um, so I just decided I, I, I have something that I can gift, that I can give, that I can teach to others to allow them to do something that almost nobody would ever have a chance to do yet everybody says they would love to do it i hear that all the time oh oh i'd love to do that how do you well well that's uh, what i brought up about hey what do you know about flag football you know here you go right, here's here's right. your sign and it was it and you just proved the point that there is no yeah. script there is no understanding it is the love of the game It is the love of being in that competition and helping people meet their competition levels. Yes. Yes. And so I learned as a young kid, I was a competitive swimmer. I, I, at eight years old, I started swimming. I didn't know how to swim, but I started swimming and I used it to release all my anger in life, which I had a lot of it. Uh And there was a coach that used the pool at where I was staying um, for their swimming team. So I would always go and hang out by the time I was. And so when they were done, I'd get into the pool and I'd start practicing. I'd be listening to the coaches. I'd be listening to what they were saying, oh, how sure. to do the stroke, how to do this, how to do that. And then at 10, uh, I, w- I decided to show up for practice at their practice. And I started oh, okay. swimming. And the one thing is, is they were like, oh, my gosh, how old are you? And I was like, 10. They said, we want you on our team. And it was a high school swimming team. Oh, my goodness. And so I went to the Junior Olympics in 1974 in the state of Colorado, where I grew up. And I did take it in my division in the 200 individual medley and the 400 breaststroke. Wow. But because I was an orphan, I didn't have any anybody that would be able to support me past that. Right. And so the thing was, is it was still an accomplishment that nobody can ever take away. Here, this little girl comes from an orphanage. And she comes and takes the Junior Olympics in her age group. And then I had to compete against everybody in the last heat. This was, there was eight of us from all the different events that had happened over the four days. And in that event for like uh, uh, the 200 IM, I had to swim that. I didn't take the race. But in the 100 breaststroke, I was two one hundred tenths of a second behind the leader. And she was 18. I was 14. 
<laughs> and so the fact was, is everybody's like, you know, you, you need to keep going, doing this, you know, we need to talk to your parents. And that's where the, the, the whole thing fell apart because right. there was no way the orphanage was going to give me permission to go off with these right. people and do things. It was too big of a liability, but it was the fact that in my mind, it was a way of getting out of my circumstances, getting out of that world and learning to love something. Right. And it became right. swimming. Boy, a really cool part of that story is is when they asked you to be on their team instead of just, oh, hey, kid, go away. You know, you know, you know, you're not old enough or whatever, you know, give you but, that opportunity. Right. How many kids came and hung out at your uh, when you were teaching college basketball? That would was that face in the crowd. You saw there every afternoon at practice. Right. But they right. weren't on the team. Right. And but yeah. then my question to you now is how many of those kids ended up on your team? Because they showed their dedication, they showed their commitment, they showed their stamina to put in before they were on the team and then became a viable player. Right. Well, that, that's usually that's usually the skill or the, the trait that allows an average player to make a college team or a accomplished high school player to become an accomplished college player mm-hmm. or possibly a professional. Uh, you know, th- th- those are the those are the things that nobody sees. Those are the behind the scenes that mm-hmm. that as coaches, we've seen um, players put that work in. And it, it it's always rewarded. It's always rewarded at in, in some way, shape or form. Yeah. And so that's the reason that's the reason why I'm, I'm asking about this elite coaching. But I want to talk about to rebound forward mm-hmm. is your book. Can we talk about that? I love that rebound. I love that word. Yeah, rebound is a great word. I uh, I, I am creating a, a whole world of rebounding. I call it the re, the rebound effect. Mm-hmm. And as we go through life, as we go through athletics, as we go through relationships, as we go through business, as we go through anything in our life, and and I don't I don't believe even though fair and unfair are in the are in the dictionary. I, I don't know where they came from because nobody gave me a certificate when I was born to say <laughs> that, okay, now, now here's, I got one for each fair and unfair. Okay. Use them because a lot of stuff's going to happen. Nobody promises any of that. Mm-hmm. And, and a- a- adversity where, where on one hand it hurts like crazy and it seems unfair if you would. Mm-hmm. The we talk so much about a silver lining and why do certain things happen? Everybody has an opinion on whether things happen for a reason or whatever, or you know, spiritually, where are you and, and how does it all work into you know how you see the you know the the, the the bigger world and the bigger purpose for being here? But um, you know, things are gonna happen in our lives when we're young, we don't know much about adversity. We don't even have to rebound from things because we're just pretty we're just pretty fired up about life and we're just bouncing around and doing our thing. And then all of a sudden a grandfather, a grand grandmother dies. And um, you know, a friend of yours at school gets get, gets hit on their bike. And I mean, and then as you get older, right, the, it, it seems like we need to rebound more and more and more. And a rebound is a philosophy of how to get through the toughest things in life, either things that happen to us. Um, I happen to use the verbiage of things that happen for us, by the way, because I do believe in the silver lining. <laughs> I get that. I absolutely yeah. get that. Yeah. Uh, but, but, but it's also a way to not be defined by what happens to us when we make poor decisions, because we do make poor decisions, which, even further complicate what's going on in our life. And that's a big part of my story. And so every time I've had to rebound, it's basically been a, just, just the exercise of getting up physically, just standing up. I and, love that. And, then, and then mentally, mentally just, you know, do, do I have what it takes to move forward, but not just move forward, move forward in a way that 
that your life will represent someone that is thriving. You know, my wife and I, um, it, it, during our journey of, of uh, moving around the country as uh, uh, our family in college coaching, uh, we lost uh, one day uh, out of the blue, uh, our four-year-old and, and one day, the day after her fourth birthday, daughter um, died in our home. Mm. Uh, to a very fast, fast acting, rare disease, which we took years to find out what it was really all about and still never did find out. Mm. And that day changed me forever because, I mean, I was so unassuming about, you know, things are going to work out. Things are going to work out in life. You just be a good person. You just, you know, um, you anchor uh, anchor into your faith and 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 put your trust in in uh in lord and 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 do the best you can and that was kind of my the, the way i operated well i i pretty much lost most of that i threw most of that away mm-hmm. and I, I went into anger state and i went into un, not un, understanding state asking asking why mm-hmm. and that that was just such a huge it, it just dug a hole uh for us not have not having a clue what to do, but having to move on because we had another child. And that was my first major rebound. Mm. And how we respond to things defines how we're able to rebound. I think about air in a basketball. And I think about uh, because because rebound is a, is a life term as I'm as I'm referring to it, but it's also a basketball term because the scoreboard says how many points has one team scored versus how many points the other team has scored. And the only way to score is with a basketball in my sport. And if the other team has it, you either have to steal it from them, which mm-hmm. doesn't happen much, or when they shoot it and miss it, we have to go rebound it. Right. That way we have a chance. Now we have possession of the ball. And we can go score. Well, the ball has air in it. And, and if it has very, very little air in it, it's not going to bounce. That ball won't be able to rebound. If it has enough air in it, it's going to be able to, you're able going to throw it on the ground and it's going to, it's going to go high in the sky and we'll be able to rebound it then. But we've got to have air in us. We, we've got to have something in us that is a conviction of how we know that we should proceed from there um, with courage, with integrity. Uh, just with with just unseen resilience that we can't even put our finger on. That we, we know the right thing is to step forward. So that's where rebound forward came from. And unfortunately, we experienced the same situation with our th- with our second daughter. And she was hospitalized uh, three times in Orlando. We were working in uh, I was working at Stetson University in Florida at the time. And was on her deathbed and, and miraculously made it through. Uh, same disease, same mm. everything. It was just a replay. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, that was three years after our first daughter had passed. And then three years after that, we lost our, our third daughter to the mm. same disease, same situation, lost her at home. And so at that point, quite honestly, uh, in my journey, it's the time where, where I was weakest. I was mm-hmm. least resilient. I was, um, I felt like I was the victim of all this. Um, I, I was, gr- I grieved by myself ap- apart from my wife. She grieved properly. I didn't. Now, what I did is I sought out things that would make me feel better because I was hurting so bad. And I even contemplated, Hey, is this even, is it right for me to even be on this earth? Do I just need to go be with my girls? Do I was the one that should have been taken and not them. Um, You know, I don't, um, I don't deserve to be here. And I, I, I was really going through a dark time and Mm -hmm. having some dark thoughts, but through family and through friends and through my faith, the, the three, the three F's, I was able to make a decision to carry on. And fortunately I did. And, uh, we, I wasn't in very good shape, but it was <laughs> but you, um, you have to admit that that's a huge emotional baggage for a parent. No parent wants to outlive their children. That's not natural. 
and and, no. and I think that and then grieving, we don't understand grief. And nobody prepares you for grief. Nobody prepares you for the the woulda, coulda, shouldas or the, no. the chatter, that inner chatter and mm. all of that heartbreak. Nobody pre prepares you for that. Mm. And so a lot of people who don't know that level of pain, it is what I call a tower moment. And it just comes crashing down because you don't know how to react. And I didn't know how to react at eight years old, being abandoned in an orphanage. I became angry. I became very, very angry. Um, back in that day, if you were uh, an unwanted kid, you were a juvenile delinquent. So I got labeled. Holy mackerel. I didn't even have to do anything wrong. You're just a juvenile delinquent. Right. So right. the fact is, is then you take on that part in life. Yeah. But the one thing that helped me, and I, I tell you this is because Unfortunately, I had a near-death experience at four. I was hungry. I was looking for food. I got under the kitchen sink. I'm that kid, probably 20 years later, that caused somebody to say, you know what, we need to put child safety locks on the cabinets because of kids right. like her, you know? So the fact was, is I drank some liquid plumber, uh, liquid Drano for the plumbing, you know, clogs. And they don't know why it didn't harm me as far as my es esophagus and my stomach and my oh. stomach lining. However it did over toxify my system and I flatlined. Mm. And so going through that experience, when I was eight and being abandoned to go fast forward, I had a spirit guide come to me and say, you know what? You're going to be okay. You're going to, I heard this. There was nobody there. I was all alone. I'm trying to chase down my mother's car, seeing her look at me in the rearview mirror and accelerated her car. I literally ran out of my shoes and I stopped when she accelerated. And I didn't have any guidance support, but right. I said, you know what? I don't, you know, I argued with God. I said, you know what? I hate the church. This is, I'm here because of them, because of, of social norms. So guess what? You're out of my life. You're out of my life. And, and I have never gone back. The one thing that has guided me was an individual that was my spirit guide. And his name, I found out later in life, was Geronimo who was a medicine man and an Apache war chief. Mm -hmm. And he was known, and I didn't know this at the time, but he was known for being bulletproof because the cavalry back in the day were trying to, you know, the genocide of the native Americans, they um, shot him like 10, 12, 13 times and not one bullet ever penetrated his skin. I didn't know that. Yeah. And so the fact is, is so this is who my spirit guide is. Right. So to fast forward it even further, last September, I went to a spiritual retreat and I met a man. He's a medical doctor. He actually lives in Tennessee. And I didn't know that. And that's where I live now. And he is or knows Geronimo's great, great grandson, who's 106. You're kidding. No. And I never thought that I, I said, please tell him that I have been carrying his grandfather's spirit with me since I was eight. And I'm part of the Blue Talks books with uh, sure. uh, Business Life in the Universe. Yep. And in business and, and in volume six, I honor my spirit guide, Geronimo. That's great. So that I, I, I understand. And see, I didn't know. I had less knowledge than you did as a kid. But it, 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 it skewed my brain in a way that I, was, I didn't trust. But you still grieve in many ways. So in honoring you and how you went through it, I'm grateful you're still here. I'm grateful that you chose to stick around because you have so much to offer. But at the time, that wasn't your clarity. That wasn't your understanding. No. Oh, no. No. Far from it. So Far from in, yeah, Exactly. But the fact is, is no matter what happens in our lives, it's that threshold we step through. Right. And you right. keep stepping through the threshold. And Randy, that yeah. is, that's honorable. That's honorable because many people don't. Well, I appreciate that. The, there's another level, um, the, and there's even a couple more levels that I'll that I'll share. That um, I wasn't sure I could step through, but I did. So, respond is a big thing for me. How we respond to things, and I think it's a big part of coaching. We we tend to want to react and lash out when things don't go right. As coaches, we can't do that. <clears throat> Response is best. Uh, it's more 
we, we come up with a more intelligent uh, uh, resolution to things when we do. But uh, b back to back to 1998, and I was actually out of coaching for a year. And the loss of identity was, I, I allowed it to be a brutal, uh, it had a brutal impact on me and I allowed it to, and I, and I shouldn't have, but I did. And I felt sorry for myself and I, cause I had lost a job. I got fired from a job and was not coaching. And that's the year that we lost our, our Natalie in, in February of 98. And I didn't, I could give a hoot at that point about coaching, about the next meal about, I really didn't care about anything, honestly, nothing, including myself and still work at loving myself because it's been a journey. But I, to me, my kids weren't going to come back and I wasn't going to feel any better. And, and I sought out, well, alcohol for one uh, was always something that that I could lean on to give me a, a reprieve, could take some pain away, at least temporarily, um, and then made a horrible, horrible decision to um, begin to use uh, the computer and begin to access pornography. Well, as, as we know from the addictive cycle, uh, there's a good chance that unless I turn it off after the first five minutes, never to be seen again, uh, I'm in good shape. If not, I'm probably going to continue to return to that place, which I did for a series of, of six and a half years and lived a secret life to where I had a place where I could go feel better. I could numb myself out and I could just, uh, nobody knew what I was doing, I thought. Um, and lo and behold, um, chat rooms were, were kind of the thing that uh, I spent my time in. And um, I was actually, um, reported, uh, to the authorities, uh, from a, from someone who was in a chat room and, and uh, long story short is I had in, in 2003 had two federal agents walk in my office and, um, I had a federal judge in the courtroom and in Des Moines in my home state tell me that I'd been sentenced to two years in medium security federal prison. Wow. And, and at that point I had, I realized that I had taken that eight year old had taken, someone took his ball and wouldn't let him have it anymore. Mm -hmm. And, and I was not allowed to coach again, ever. I mean, the thing that I loved and maybe most, mm -hmm. and I did that. Right. And I made the decision, um, and, and and where where I ended up going and and serving that time, actually ended up being uh, there ended up being an unbelievable gift waiting for me, and that was the treatment program, which I was allowed to be in for two years, which it saved my life. Mm -hmm. So back to silver lining, right? <laughs> and and uh, I got home and was pretty listless for a number of years. That identity thing was a tough, tough deal. Um, I, I didn't, I just wasn't a good husband. And just in terms of communication, I was kind of, I just wasn't kind of all there. Um, uh, I was excited to be home, certainly, but I just, I just w was looking for kind of what's my next big thing going to be that I'm going to do. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's amazing when you reflect, you know, back behind us, you see a lot of the selfishness and things you can't see when you were going through it. And, um, and so six years after I returned, um, or, or eight years after I returned, um, my wife decided that she wanted a divorce. And, um, so we ended our 32 year marriage. Oh, wow. Um, uh, another, you know, another pretty tough curveball. And in each of these, and, and I, I tell this story, um, only because, I want people to understand and they, they shouldn't compare. Don't compare against what I've been through and what you've been through. But what I want to tell people is when you don't want to go any further and you, and you are, you do become the victim and the pity party and uh, this is unfair. And 
all of these things. No, these are just things that happen. And they happen, it just happened to happen to you this time. Mm-hmm. So what are you, how are you going to respond? I think it's all in the response. I agree. I agree. To, me, to me, you can either give up, get up or rebound forward. Uh, I don't want to give up. I've never done that. I wasn't raised that way. That's not my deal. If I'm going to breathing and engaged in, in things, I'm going to give up my best. So I can't be that guy in neutral who just says, well, life sucks and, you know, another day in paradise and all that crap you hear. I, I just, I, I just. Those excuses we that. tell ourselves, those excuses we tell well, ourselves to get yeah. through the moment. I think people that are so disillusioned with life that they just, okay, you know, I'm ready. This is a, this is as good as it's going to get kind of deal. I'm mm. like, bull crap on that. Come on. There's a lot more out there. I'm going to rebound and I'm going to rebound this way forward. That's what I'm going to do. And to take myself from a place of survive. And sometimes, as you know, probably much better than I do, what surviving is actually about and, and how that instinct gets you through. But it isn't a place you want to stay. You don't want to live in survival yeah. mode. I wanted to go from survive to thrive. Mm-hmm. And and that's the world I live in now. And that's why I'm so excited just to be here hanging out with you today and sharing <laughs> these stories because I'm thriving. And you say, how in the world through all that stuff can you be thriving? And again, I'll go back to the way I was raised. It's all I know. You hang on to things closest and nearest and dearest to you and you make it through. And there's no quit. But you've changed your choices. You've changed your thought process. Absolutely. You changed your decision making because all of that is is the change. And people think, oh, I can't change. This is never going to change. It's that simple. When you get out of your way, it's that simple. It is. It absolutely is. So I wrote, I actually wrote my book while I was in prison. Um, I hand wrote it. And then type three, I had like, came home with 300. 20 typewritten pages. So I basically wrote it. I was busy in there. Believe me, I was not. Oh boy. Uh, I was busy. Uh, so uh, the, the book is, I'm really proud of the book uh, rebound forward, but I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to be most proud of this world of, of the rebound effect, mm-hmm. which is going to really umbrella and encompass the book and, and my speaking and everything else that I do. Because I so believe in the art of rebounding and so look forward to speaking to people about how important that is in their life. And they can teach their kids that and they can teach their grandkids that it's it's it will go forever. I hope it goes forever and ever and ever. The art of not giving up and understanding that, listen, it's not fair or unfair. I, I always say, you know, I'm from Iowa. I always say, you know, fair is where they judge pigs. You know, we have the famous Iowa State Fair, so I always use that because I don't believe in it. I really don't. Nobody ever came to me and said it's either one or the other. It's not even a thing to me, but rebound is a thing. And it's a huge thing that can help us endure anything. I believe in that. I'm being told to tell you this story. When I was eight and I had my spirit guide protecting me out at this orphanage, there was one person in on TV that was speaking his piece. His name was Cassius Clay, and he oh. defied all odds, defied it. <clears throat> he spoke yeah. my truths. He uh-huh. spoke my feelings. He spoke my anger. He spoke the, the, the things that I cared about, and he changed his name to Muhammad Ali. Yes. You know, many people say, you know, he was a deserter. No, he stood in his principles and says, I'm not going. He fought it. He went to court and he won back in a time when many people weren't winning that lawsuit. Others were deserting the country and going to Canada, going to Mexico. And most people don't understand it. But he stood and says, I, I, you know what? They stripped him of his Olympic medal. They stripped him of his professional world champion title. And try to destroy him. And I was just like, he was my hero. 
And everybody goes, but he's black. I could care less. It was, he was speaking my heart song that I couldn't Absolutely. speak. I didn't have a you voice. Felt it. Yes. In 2000, oh gosh, when was it? He was retired. I had the honor of doing his private security. No. When he was speaking at a mall for seven days. And exactly. I got to spend so much time with him. And I, and I told him, I want to thank you because you were my saving grace. And I the reason why I tell you this story is to tell you this to you is that no matter what you went through, no matter how guilt and blame and shame ashamed you are of the things that you've done, you are still that hero to people who had less than you, yes. who had a dream who want to be, who want to become, because yeah. no matter what, he was the one that was in my head when my brother was killed. I was a new mom. I wanted to avenge my brother's death. I wanted injustices. The switch that flipped in me was, oh my God, if I avenge his, her de his death, I'm abandoning my daughter. Just what happened to me. Right. I can't do that. Right. And it was that instantaneous right. choice. So I wow. want you to see that in your story, you're more of a hero than you know. Because there are people that are going to hear your story, who's going to understand that all the things that you went through and say, oh, my God, how did he do it? How did he survive beyond himself? Because it's what we think that hurts us ourselves the most. It's those thoughts that we put in our head that we're not enough. We're not good enough. So I, yes. they told me to tell you my story of Muhammad Ali, how he was a strength in my life. And I, I was the quiet one. Was there a lot of trauma and pains out there? Absolutely. But I knew there was something better in my heart. So I wanted that's, to share with you that there amazing. is so much better in your heart than anything you have experienced. And so. Thank you for saying that. You're, you're welcome. But I'm being guided by them because the fact is, is that it's just one of those things that when we have choices, did I do bad stuff? Absolutely. Did I steal food? Did I panhandle? Absolutely. Those are all breaking laws. But I was just surviving. Sure. So yeah. I, I get you're it. I, I absolutely yeah. get it. So in that, I wanted you to know that you're, you're more of a hero to more people than you realize because of your dreams, well. of your choices. But That's I want to ask you this people. question. I want to ask you this question. Yes. Three tips. Three tips on how to change, how to how to how to make better decisions. What what your choice? Three tips on on changing your lifestyle, changing your mindset, changing your self-care. One is definitely choices. It, it I mean it's everything. You know, I get the biggest kick out of people that say, oh, oh, what another crappy day. It's raining again today. And I'm like, really? You had a choice to evaluate this day. And because there are little drops of water coming out of the sky, it's a crappy day. I don't get that. The only person I think in the history of my, in my life and my recollection that ever got hurt by rain was or water was the Wicked Witch of the West and the Wizard of Oz. I haven't seen anybody else melt. Okay. <laughs> And all of a sudden, it's a crappy day. And I, I, once in a while, I'll say, I'll say, you know, up there in those clouds, what do you think is above the clouds? It reminds me of when you fly and you break through the clouds and that right. sun and that just that serenity and that sunshine. I go, it's sunny up there. It's just <laughs> that the clouds are between us and the sun. Yes. You know, it's amazing how we can quickly evaluate something as being bad versus good. So, I, yeah, life is a choice. There's there's no question about that. Um, I think in terms of in terms of relationships, I, I I know one misgiving I have is I I I didn't live I didn't live for for my wife I didn't I did not put her first I put her even mm -hmm. and she needs to be first and deserve to be first. Now I can only say this in 2022 okay 
-hmm. I couldn't have said this while I was going through it. You know how, how sometimes we're just blind to as we go through it. Um, I know that. So relationships are great and they can only get better and, and flourish when the emphasis is, is put on the other person and, and, and not just, you know, not just an even Steven type of thing. I don't know how well I've described that, but, but that's important. That's important. And I, I think the, the last thing is this, that I believe in the invisible impact. Mm-hmm. I, I'd be shocked if I don't write a book on, on it by that title. And I believe that everything we do is going to, in some way, help the person that witnessed it, but also help that person and people they know years down the road. Um, An example of invisible impact would be as easy as what I read the book, um, um, The Slight Edge. Mm-hmm. And the slight edge was all about do the everyday ordinary things that that not everybody's willing to do, but they're easy to do. They're also easy not to do. So mm-hmm. I made it. I made a when I go through a parking lot like a grocery store or a or a big box store or a Walmart or whatever. Okay, for some reason that just gives people license to to just throw stuff on the ground. I don't get it. Mm-hmm. So I have a rule where I pick up at least one piece of garbage and I put it in the trash on my way in. And I know that people are watching and, you know, we tend just to walk right by garbage and I know people are watching and people aren't necessarily picking anything up, putting it away, but there's an invisible impact there. There it plants a seed that they're going to think the next time they walk through a parking lot without me being there, that, Hey, yeah, I remember that guy picked that thing up. I wonder why he did that. He didn't need to do that. Maybe they'll start doing it. Maybe they'll have their kids start doing it. Maybe they'll start an entire campaign where they're walking ditches in their in their community and picking up garbage. Um, I mean, and it, this is just picking up a piece of juicy fruit gum wrapper. Mm-hmm. This is doing something miraculous, right? <laughs> and so, so when I speak, and and when I write, and when I'm with people, I'm always. I'm always very aware of the invisible impact because there are things I I, I believe. And again, being from Iowa, I I love farmers and I believe in what farmers do. Farmers plant seeds. Mm -hmm. And I think that we have a calling to plant seeds in this world for other people. Not things are going to do immediately, but things that they're going to do down the road. And it may be at exactly the right time. They make a huge they take the keys and hand it to a friend versus make a decision to drive home when they're intoxicated. Mm-hmm. Why? Because they heard someone talk about that at one time. That's the invisible impact to me. And that's planting the seed that can save somebody's life or enhance or, or just beautify somebody's life down the road. I really believe in that. It's a personal mantra. It's a personal philosophy that I have. Mm-hmm. I'm not, trying to walk around and be the best there is and, and both doing that. I'm just trying to pick up the juicy fruit wrapper and, and hope it rubs off on somebody. I, I but see, I love that because I, I, it's all about accountability and ownership. Yes, when you is. own your own junk, when you say, you know what, I did this and this and this, you know what, I regretted it, but I'm not doing it anymore. You actually release that from your your mindset saying you know what okay i've changed i made a difference and with the relationship the way i see it i love the way that you said it but i see a relationship no matter what it is it starts inside you because once you have that right relationship with you that's where you share that relationship with others and it's right it's not manipulative it's not you know, complicated. It's very simple. It's all about the love that you have for yourself, that you're willing to be able to show other people that you love them unconditionally, no matter what they do. Absolutely. And it's not about, it's, it's not excusing their behaviors, but it's seeing them as a human being going through the things that they went through. 
And this is why I honor you and I thank you. And I was so excited to have you on my podcast because when you can have so much trauma and pain and grief, you make bad decisions because you don't have clarity. There's no way to see the clarity through the dark. There's just no way. And unless you've walked that and come out on the other side, then it's like, holy mackerel. I'm not saying I'm better or good or all I can right. say is this is my mission in life now that yes. if I can impart something on you yes. or to someone else to help them get through this day and get that clarity. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, yes. creator. Thank you, God, yes. for allowing me to have that moment. Yeah, absolutely. That's very well said. And that's that's what I got from what you said. And I was like, oh, this is amazing, amazing. But now I ask this of all my interviewees. Take a deep breath in, sit back, close oh, your eyes. This is going to get deep. This is going to get deep. <laughs> and I want you to connect with your inner five-year-old child and ask them, what do you think of me today from then? Boy. I think the five. I think the five-year-old me would be really, really proud of his dad. He is. He is. I, I meant to tell you, I'm an extreme empath, and if you're choking up, I can help. I. I, I also think I. He's probably hurt by the fact that. His dad can't be the coach or he can't be the coach anymore. <laughs> but I've got past that. There's there's bigger things that I know in this world that are left for me. But I think he's proud of me. And I know he is. I know but he is. He's also saying that these were lessons that most people don't walk through and survive. Don't beat yourself up. Yeah. Don't hold that grudge against yourself. You're human. And you have done so much more beyond that now. And that was the lesson to learn. It's of being of service and you are a service now. And that's yeah. where grace comes from, from your five-year-old child. Wow. That's powerful. I, I, I've done a lot of, I've done a lot of podcast interviews, whatever. Nobody's ever asked me that question, especially at the end of a, end of a, an hour and two minutes. <laughs> well, I'm here's so the thing is, here's the thing is that most people don't get interviewed from somebody that's been in law enforcement for 40 years, who's an right. extreme empath. And those are a duality all right. in itself. Right, right. You're exactly right. But I'm so glad you did. I've never been put in that, that, that position. That was in an instant. It was crazy because I went back to, I was just thinking about what would I be doing today? You know, how big would I be? What would I be? Would I be laughing? Would I, you know, you know of course you are probably, but that was really neat. Thanks for <laughs> letting me be a part of this. Well, it's also to show you your inner strength that you have when you go back to that five-year-old child and to know that they're not labeling us as we label ourselves. No, They're not no, judging no. us. They're not making they're not. assumptions. Because with everything that you went through, you know, yeah. they're here to say, you know what, I'm so proud of you because I know what you've walked. I yeah. know what you, I know your heart. I know your yeah. soul. Yeah. So when they say, I'm proud of you, it's like, it's like feeling your heartbeat for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a special, it's a special thing to say and then hear yourself say, believe me. I mean, that was powerful. <laughs> So, Randy, hang on just a second. It takes a special kind of individual to dream their dreams, their thoughts and ideas and turn them into their reality. Randy Brown, you stepped past your fears. You stayed the course. You had the courage through the follow through. Randy, you've championed yourself. We now know who you've become. Thank you for sharing your stories, your life experiences, your ideas, your thoughts and your dreams with us today. 